Once upon a time, there were three storytellers who enjoyed enjoying stories almost as much as they enjoyed telling them. So, they formed a magical covenant, a performative oration of how stories make them feel. They called it the What's It About Film Podcast. After its formation, the three storytellers would go on to analyze and share the stories of many great films, some chosen on their own volition, some brought to them by close friends and confidants, and others that were suggested by fans of their musings. And today is one of those days. In fact, it's the very first. As loyal WIA listener Nicole Marie Loftus has asked us to discuss their favorite film, 1998's fairy tale reimagining Ever After. Written by Andy Tennant, Rick Parks, and Academy Award-nominated Susanna Grant, this film set out to make an adaptation of Charles Perrault's all-time classic fairy tale Cinderella that stood out from all the rest. So they decided to do something pretty radical by stripping the story of all the traces of its ubiquitous magical elements that had come to define the tale up to that point. No talking mice, no fairy godmother, no turning into a pumpkin at the stroke of midnight, bibbidi-bobbidi-nada. Tennant himself said that to do such a faithful adaptation would be pointless. People could just watch the 1950 animated Disney classic. So this team opted to take a more historical fiction approach to the story. With Grant's knack for historical adaptation, having just written Disney's animated Pocahontas a few years prior, and later the 2000s Oscar darling Aaron Brockovich, the film was in good hands. The film would pull in real-life historical figures from the past, including the likes of King Francis I and Leonardo da Vinci, with references to Henry VIII and Michelangelo. Ever After, a Cinderella story shot mostly in France, using the area's real-life historical architecture from many of the film's 16th century locations, which gave the film an authentic aesthetic that many would go on to praise. Ever After got its Once Upon a Time in movie theaters in the summer of 1998, where it performed well both critically and financially. The film has received wide critical acclaim, with many highlighting the film's unique approach to a well-trodden story and the more modern feminist and classic themes, all on its way to grossing over $98 million on a $26 million budget. It would even go on to spawn a decently received Broadway musical adaptation. But whether it's magic or just good old-fashioned tenacity, this is a tale as old as time. Wait, no wait, that's the wrong, that's the wrong princess, I'm sorry. So today, as recommended to us by Nicole Marie Loftus, I say bonjour to our co-hosts as we ask the question, Ever After, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Boydias. I'm Seth Crow. I'm Megan Brannon. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding the mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth and Megan, how are you doing today? I'm good. I can see it all over your face. How well you are. <laughs> I'll be okay. Um, I said we're all a little, a little under the weather. I was a little bit sick mm-hmm. last week. You guys are kind of both. I got the sniffles. This week. Mm. Yeah. You guys always have the sniffles. I'm the one that edits this podcast, and I cannot tell you <laughs> how often I'm editing out coughs and sniffs. It's because we're nerds. Okay. Seth, Seth is a coffer. It's always a. <coughs> yeah, that's and and Megan's always a, a. Yep. Yeah. So this, I, this is going to be an I extra fun in my podcast. 20s. Yeah, you did. So, so I don't smoke now, but I did smoke in my 20s, my mid 20s. Oh my gosh, and, you uh, smoked so much when I met you. I remember when, when you tried to first smoke to- so much. Okay. Like. 
I smoked a pack of cigarettes every three days. That's like a casual smoker. Okay. Well, for me, okay. someone who does not smoke because I have asthma, that's a lot. Yeah. Well. Um, um, but I remember one of the times you tried to quit was we did a we did a competition where you like you're like I'll quit smoking if you quit drinking soda. Mm. And and I lasted longer, and in, in but the short term, in the short term, in that in that initial competition, I lasted much longer. And then he actually quit smoking, and then I still drank soda. Yeah, <laughs> you did not hold up your end of the bargain. I, 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 no, I wasn't actually mm-hmm. trying to quit soda. I was just trying to get him to quit smoking, and oh. I said I bet him I could go longer because obviously I have a diet coke addiction. Yeah. <laughs> but I also am more stubborn than, than Seth. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to competition, I, I I didn't feel great, but I, I made it longer. Mm. It was just to get, get him to stop smoking. And then once he was once he had already lost, I was like, well, then whatever. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, real quick before we totally dive in. Uh, I want to just say I'm excited. Ricky is going to be hosting my comedy show. So that's exciting. Yeah. So Very honored is, to be have been asked. This is going to be a, uh, a, a, a an across America endeavor. Yeah. You know? You're bringing in talent I'm, from all yeah, over the world. Yeah. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I better be good. I better be funny. You'll be good. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be spending – I'm going to be spending – Three to $300 to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the, the good news is I don't even have to show up. What? What? I I mean, no, you you do. (laughs) No, I don't even have to come. I've set it up in such a way that if I don't show up jokes on everybody that like, I it's, I definitely am advertising. (laughs) It would not be false advertising. You've indicated that you're trolling people already. Like if they showed up and you don't, you don't show up. It's like, well, this is a joke. Gotcha. So you'd be an asshole. Yeah, it would be. (laughs) Nora thinks it's funny. Nora Nora does not think it's funny. Nora is saying, don't you dare. Can you hear her? Yeah. Hold on. Nora is saying, don't you fucking dare. I'm actually, man, I've been hosting a long time. I'm supposed to be uh, hosting uh, the my theater company's fundraiser this weekend. We have a fundraiser, and I'm uh, hosting our, like, cabaret part. So I've been getting ready for that. Um, I'm writing a, a little parody for it. Um, nice. So I'm a little bit nervous. It's That's a parody funny. of Be Our Guest. So it's long, but really, fu- I think it's pretty funny. So um, Didn't you already kind of write something like that for the... For what? For a D and D game you played once, I've written lots of little parodies. I don't know if I did be our guest for that though. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did write a lot of like little parodies for our little ads. Um, I did I did that Britney Spears one that one time. That was yeah. funny. <laughs> I enjoy doing that stuff like that, and obviously I get paid for it occasionally. So um, I've been doing it since I was in high school anyway. So might as well make some money off of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm like. I haven't fully written it yet, so I haven't also haven't fully memorized it yet. But I did spend time last night. First, I don't know why I did this. Memorizing the presidents of the United States in order. Yeah, because you're gonna need to know that. <laughs> but I know it now. I know it now. When when you're on some <laughs> trivia game show. I know it now, though. <laughs> I remember last night. My dad has a song that he wrote 
that has all of the presidents like it's like an animaniac style mm-hmm. song Cute. and it was like the washington of, adams jefferson madison Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it also like teaches you about their in like their terms yeah what they what they did in their yeah in their so terms. it's like Washington was first in line. He began in 89, 97. <laughs> he was done. John Adams next, and he's no fun. Like, I, I that's cute. That's, that's been that cadence has been in my head since I was like, do you know all the presidents in order? I do not. I had I never learned the whole thing. <laughs> Loser. Uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm the winner because I know them now. Yes. yes You're I the loser because you don't. If I need to phone a friend, I have two people to call now. Well, here's the thing: I don't know the, their numbers off the top of my head. I know the order, but like, if you ask me, like, who's the, who's the twenty? No, I can't. I do know that one. Uh, who's the? Tw- Maybe I do know the numbers at this point. Oh, I know wow. certain numbers, just because I like like certain numbers stick out. Like, for example, JFK is the thirty is the thirty fifth, uh, and like Reagan was the fortieth. So like certain people for some reason like line up at certain significant numbers and I'm like oh yeah okay and then if I I like Lincoln's the 16th so if you go from Lincoln you're like okay it's, it's like it's like ten after yeah, Lincoln yeah. which is Teddy Roosevelt um, makes it easier God I I don't know why I did that last night I I might I don't know either <laughs> clearly there's some divine drive for you to have the presidents memorized yeah you're gonna need that later well you know what yeah. it was I was I was like, like really you are I was looking up. When I don't know, like, I don't know. I was on like a political history, political history kick. Maybe this movie kind of like inspired it a little bit. Um, but like, I was looking up when did the like Republican and the Democratic parties like platform shift? Because oh yeah, yeah. Because Lincoln was a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. Traditional Republican. And but at some point in our history, the the Republicans in like the eighteen hundreds were all about like big government and government and government hands on government. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans uh, and the Democrats were about less government, like because they were like the people from the South and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, it shifted to where now it's the opposite. Yeah. Um, when did it shift? It was like in, it was like in after the Great Depression and in the big westward expansion of the United States, okay. where the Republicans, so people from the North, were who were overwhelmingly Republican, were establishing big business in the West first and making a whole bunch of money, so railroads and banks. And so early on, the big businesses needed big government to establish infrastructure to then start making money off of it. But once they were established, they no longer wanted government in their business because they just wanted to make more money. So they're like, now you need to, we want to de- want you to deregulate so we can make more money. And, the, and then the Democrats who were trying to – like were farmers and things like that moving west weren't making any money and weren't having success. So they wanted more government assistance in moving west because they were struggling to move westward so the west became really lower class democratic dominant in that way so the the platforms shifted in that the democrats wanted more government help and the republicans were like well we have already made our money we don't want your help anyway we want you to get get away from us and that's how it's been so really the republican party has always been big business centric and the democrats have always been small like small everyday people centric and then just the needs of those two things have changed over time mm-hmm. so it's around, around like the 1920s to 1930 by the time fdr got into office it the switch was like fully complete because fdr was a democrat who put in obviously during the great depression put in all those 
very, very liberal policies with like the new deal and all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Now I know. Now we know. Now you, now you all know at home. Thank you very much. This has been the subsect uh, historic podcast on what's it about. Uh, you can't, we're going to have a spinoff series. <laughs> no. I like history uh, a lot. I think history is very interesting. It's not like one of my subjects that I'm like the most first in. So I was like really curious. I like, so many, I like facts. so many like good history, YouTube channels and podcasts and mm-hmm. stuff, but it's a, it's a fun rabbit hole to go down. I like facts. I don't know. Why. I've always been like a fact person. I'm a trivia guy. So yeah. you can control facts. Yeah. Yeah. I can know, control facts. Facts are facts are just what they are. Well, that's so, uh, what I'm saying is like it's you can know something. Yeah. Like you know what yeah. I'm saying? For there's, sure. There's comfort in knowing that a, a factual yeah. truth. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about that as much as <laughs> I would love to Wait, continue. Can to do I so. really oh, quick yeah. make a small just because I feel like this is a good space to sure. discuss this briefly. Um I saw both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Oh how so, were they? Which was better? Okay, that's a very difficult question. Okay. They're both very, very good. Different. It's a great double feature because they don't compete against each other at all. And they're both very, very good. In terms of rewatchability and like importance in my life, um, Barbie has to take the take the win. Nice. But they were both very, very, very good. Highly recommend. Awesome. And if you're going to see them both in one day, start with Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. And and end on the up on the upbeat instead of the downbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. What about you, Seth? Do you see any any uh, any of those this week? I have not. I want to see both. I don't know if I can do the double feature. Mm. Uh, so it's a lot. Uh, but I definitely want to see both. I don't. I don't know when I'm going to get the chance to. Mm. But uh, yeah. I, I yeah. Nice. I I've been. I want to see them, but I've been like. Stuck in this place of like, I know, I know the the unions aren't calling for a consumer a consumer strike. Mm. Um, they're not asking people to like boycott going to see movies and stuff like that because like obviously they still benefit off of that, and and so do the people that make those movies. Um, but like, I don't know. It feels weird to like go and go and watch those movies right now when like literally like ninety eight percent of the the people who worked on that movie are on strike. Mm. It's it's weird. Um, I don't know. I want to though. I probably end up will end up going, but it, I I will admit that I've been like hesitant to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm glad you enjoyed them. I've heard they're both fantastic movies. So yeah, they're both really really not good. to I'm disparage to see... those movies because I've heard they're yeah they're very well made films. I'm going to see Barbie again tonight. So oh look at that the drive-in. At the drive-in. Barbie at the (laughs) drive-in. You gonna put the top down? I am of my of my my hard top sedan. No, I'm not. That would be freaking impressive. It would be amazing. (laughs) Now it's a convert. Any car can be convertible if you try hard enough. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not here to talk about Barbie or Oppenheimer or the Order of the Presidents as much as I would like to. We are here to talk about the 1998 romantic feature ever after starring drew barrymore and angelica houston and a melanie and a, a, a melanie linsky before she yes, was famous love her a, a toby jones's first american film like look at that 1998 what do you know um so um i would love to ask my co-host here what their 
history with Ever After is. Uh, if they had seen it before and what their experience was like today. Uh, so, Megan, had you seen Ever After before, before watching it for this podcast? Yes, I had. Um, it was one of – well, I don't actually know if it was one of my dad's favorite movies. I should have texted him to ask, but uh, I remember him – at least saying that he liked it and, and watching it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he really did like it. Uh, and I think I was, I must've been like six or something. Um, so I watched it when I was a kid and then I liked it when I was a kid and I tried to watch it again when I was a little older. Cause it was on a lot of these that we watch are, were like running on TV. Oh yeah. Uh, a ton. So I think this was an ABC family. Um, hit mm-hmm. and so I watched it there and I remember I never really like watched it all the way through again mm-hmm. so this is the first time I've watched it in its entirety in I don't know two decades but I did have kind of a fond memory of it just because I remember my dad like sitting down with me and watching it and really liking it he was a sucker for like any of that he's a very whimsical person mm-hmm. so he's a warlock he, <laughs> right yeah you you guys already know I think he imbued a lot of that in me so mm. Yeah, it's a fond memory. Awesome. Okay, so that was your your past history with it. So after all those years from seeing it last, what was it like kind of watching it now? Um, it was it was interesting. I still found parts of it really sweet. Um, I will say, and I said this in the group chat, her accent drove me slowly to the brink of insanity it wasn't french enough for you it it oh something about it and i kind of remember feeling that way when i was a kid but i was like no it's like maybe she's like that's fairy tale accent like well, you I know could... it wasn't really french accent. it definitely it, it was nobody definitely, was french i would say it was definitely more british bent. she was british nobody yeah. was french um yeah, the acting was translated from french <laughs> It's a good bit. It's a good bit. Yeah, no, but I still, there were parts that I definitely still like that part where she, well, we'll get into it more, but there, there were a few parts where I was like, oh, this really like feels, it just like hit me in a very nostalgic spot and I still mm-hmm. found it very charming. So there were definitely, I still had a good time. Yeah. For the most part. I think there are some really fun bits in here. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to be honest. I've actually never seen Ever After. Um, this is one, you know, I, I don't know. So I was like seven when this movie came out. So I was kind of young and it, I don't know, I guess it just didn't like appeal to my dumb little boy brain. <laughs> you know, I, but here's the thing. I know we, my family had this movie cause I recognized the cover, you know, yeah. the yeah. cover with, had all those really pretty pastel color, you know, paint colors like it. And I, I remember like Drew Barrymore's little face on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I re- I know my this movie was in my household, mm-hmm. or at the very least I'd s- just seen the cover of this movie millions and millions of times, but uh, I'd never actually watched it. So this was my first viewing experience, um, and yeah, I mean, sure the like accents were. I was like, this is this is supposed to be in France? They're not being very French, um, mm-hmm. but like the setting was really pretty. I think there were some really fun bits in it. Um, like I really liked the the scene with the uh, the Romani. When uh when uh Danielle rescues the prince, uh, and is like he's like I'll let you take whatever you can carry, and she so she she picks the prince up and walks away with him. I was like that's mm-hmm. that's fun. I like that. That's, that's cute. That has a very Princess Bride type 
like comedy beat like rhythm to it where mm-hmm. it's like a aha like I got you um and I like that I don't know I think there's some fun bits in here um as far as like there are definitely things though that kind of got under my skin in this movie that's for sure mm-hmm. um we'll get in we'll get into it but I don't know I think there are some fun I liked it's watching fun. uh Da Vinci walk walk on water yeah he was yeah. fun now, he's like, I'll leave walking on water to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. I don't know. There's some good bits. Uh, what about you, Seth? Have you ever seen Ever After before well, this? First of all, I, I just want to say thanks to Nicole for – Yes. Thank you, you know. so much, Nicole Marie Loftus. Yeah. yeah. Being being our very first fan to ask us to pick up – ask us to do yeah. a specific movie. Like we, we've been asking for that for over a year now. We've been asking people to reach out to us and tell us movies they want to hear us talk about. And Nicole did that. So, Nicole, thank you so much for doing that because uh, that's what we want. We want engagement and interaction from you guys. So, thank you yeah, uh, for thank doing you. so. And and, and, I, I res- and and there's proof now that if you do so, we will probably do the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We yeah. have the time. <laughs> yeah. But, like, also just, like, it, you know, picking a movie to do on this podcast is, is, a, is like a – you're, you're sh- sharing a part of yourself, you know, mm-hmm. so we appreciate that. And, you know, uh, sometimes sh- picking a movie is very, it's just very personal, you know yeah. what I mean? And uh, I, I respect this choice. I get it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, um, I think that the production value is really cool. I think I think seeing this shot in France and taken like seriously was uh, really neat. Um, I I had never seen Ever After prior to this, so this was my first uh, go at the film, and I can see like the formations of where historical fiction is now in this movie. You know, like mm-hmm. like I feel like there it's like kind of getting its legs as to what historical fiction is supposed to be like there were there were there were certain shots in this film where i was like whoa this is like very real like mm. like well the, like yeah under- they shot in actual castles <laughs> in actual like old old like 16th century well, estates not not like, just not just like authentic yeah not just production but like like shots and like length of shots and like what people are doing in the, in the shots are like at times, like I feel like I'm watching a like recording of, of something happening in real time. Like, Mm -hmm. but, but it doesn't feel like a movie, like, like, like certain moments with the, the peasants, like certain, certain, like, lengths of time that they linger on shots um was like at 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 times strangely hyper real um not everything in the movies like that but but certain certain things were like Mm -hmm. um like ah dang it i'm trying to explain it's like a feeling like it's like it's no longer it's like almost like you're no longer watching a movie like you're just like watching three people on camera in a field which was Mm. which was strange and so i think like this this is like a turning point in 
turning point film for this genre. You know, like they're trying to figure out what works in the genre and what doesn't, mm. which is interesting. Like, I, I think something that that ha- like even though you're doing historical fiction and you're making it realistic, it has to be stylized, mm. right? Like you have to create a stylization about the world. It can't be hyper real or it loses an element of cinematics. Does that right? Well, it's 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 a it's a fantasy romance right like if yeah. you if you portray it too too real it loses its inherent but i feel like that's what this movie was really trying to do yeah. right like this movie was really trying to tell the real story of cinderella yeah and so which i i i think that's cool um the concept's cool um but i think it definitely is like I said, the stylization doesn't necessarily hit the mark, and I think it's because it's this style of film is being. It, this was early for this style of film, right? Like this, this I can't um, think of of many historical fiction like. I mean, there's like it reminded me a little bit of well, kind of. There's like the the Romeo and Juliet from the '60s kind of has a similar vibe. I mean, um, and. I mean, and there's obviously like Titanic, which we did mm. a couple. That was a, a historical fiction, like using a, a historical event. Yeah. Um, but like, I guess like the idea of like reimagining something in, right. in historical fiction. Right. Let's. See, I'm I'm looking it up now. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm. There are traditions of it, like uh, oh, like Shakespeare did it. Yeah. With, mm. with Hen- the Hen- his Henry and Richard plays. So there's precedence. No, I, I know there's precedence. And what I'm saying is, is like in, in taking, t- taking I would say a it's fairy probably, tale. It probably wasn't make... as super popular in film. Ben, I, th- I can think of like Spartacus and Ben-Hur were kind of like that. Um, but they're not fairy tales. You know what I mean? Not fairy tales. It's I, I guess like reimagining a fairy tale and putting it in historical context. But yeah. This might be mm-hmm. something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I would. I, I'm hard pressed to think of anything specifically that does that mm-hmm. before like this. Supernatural. What I would call supernatural realism, mm-hmm. right? So like. But there's no like supernatural thing in this movie. Yeah, that's right. True. Well, well, they're taking something that was supernatural and okay, yeah. grounding it in the real world by saying yeah. like, no, 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 like the magic and all that stuff that's like in in stories you've heard. It was all embellished. This is the real story yeah. right, that that right. way, that inspired these other stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is so yeah. It's like it's ground. It is grounded in supernatural real realism. I think. I, I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm saying. I think they. I think the concept is really cool. Yeah. I think it's still getting its legs. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, um Life of Brian. I guess that counts. That's like OG supernatural realism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Forget everything I said. <laughs> Monty Python's Life of Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that does that does take the piss out of well, <laughs> the I mean, Bible, I guess that's you, for sure. Well, Ben Hur. Ben Hur would also yeah. be an example of that. Well, mm-hmm. Ben Hur is not magic. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it depends on who you ask. That's true. <laughs> That's so, true. Uh, but you, like you said, though this and that's what you that's what these filmmakers set out to do. They set out to do something very unique, especially with this story, because the 
fairy godmother, the glass slippers, the pumpkin carriage, all the magic is so, like I said in my intro, so ubiquitous to this story. It's so yeah. it's so synonymous. People, there those things are inexorably linked. And so to, to remove those things from this story, because this story has been told many, 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 many times since it was written uh, and like done on stage and done in film and done in animation. And hmm. there are very few iterations of the story that don't include the magic part. And this is one that doesn't, which makes it extremely, extremely unique in that aspect. It doesn't include the magic part, and then another part that's more realistic is I feel like the stepmother is at parts more uh, less evil in a two dimensional way. Yes, like less, still a bitch, yeah. but <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> like here's the thing: I, I love Angelica Houston. I love her these yeah. days because, like, she obviously she's played some iconic characters, but like, yeah. I will say, she's when I was younger. I was terrified of her. She is because because I, I because of the, the, witches. the witches. You guys said yeah. the witches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrifying. She scared the crap out of me. She's and good at it. Yeah, she's very good at playing evil and bitchy. Yeah, but she's also great at being lovely too. Because Morticia Adams is how do you not love Morticia? You know? Or in, even in this, there are moments where you're like, there you are think so, she's she has about really to be. Moment. Yeah. Like even we'll talk about about it later, but yeah, I think that was another element of added. They take away the two dimensional nature of like the bad guys. Well, yeah, I think what they do is they ground it in in the conditions of the world. Like she's she even talks about it at one point in the scene that we'll probably reference a few times. But like she's like, look, like I grew up as a peasant. My mom was like, you need to wash the the peasant filth off your face twenty times a day, and it's still never going to come off. And I, she like worked her way up to being a baroness, which is a huge station elevation for her. Mm. And then like your life in that time sucks if you don't have money. It's terrible. Obviously, if you don't have money, you could just be sold to America at any time. Mm-hmm. You know? So like did she poison her dad? I had this thought. Mm. I don't think so. No, I I thought the same thing for a second, but what would she get? Like she had to sell all his stuff. Like she didn't have money without him. Well, she well she did. So she just over she she because she's poor, she's born from being poor, she doesn't know how to how to deal with money. So his he did have an estate. He did have money that he left her. Mm. But and a farm to make more money. She right. just is ba- she's a bad spender. Right. She overspends. And so she now she's like selling things secretly because she doesn't know how to use money. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think she poisoned him. I don't think she poisoned him either. Um, but that's what's fun about this. Her performance is like you could argue that she did. Like you could she argue. plays it so yeah, so like sneaky and nuanced that it yeah. could be either way. Um, but I think and how he dies is just so. I know. <laughs> abrupt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but what I was saying was like the movie like doesn't I wouldn't say justify her behavior, but it's like. Look, like I can understand why she is like this, like ladder climbing snake, mm-hmm. because it's like that's how you survive in this world as a as a widowed woman. Mm. Like, there's not a whole lot of else for you to do. 
you marry you marry somebody with money and you just keep trying to climb that ladder. Right. And, and then hopefully you're taken care of for the rest of your life. Which isn't that long in those days. So you know, I it's like you get it, you get it, but doesn't make it right. No, she's still horrible to, yeah. to her, but she but... but you get the desperation of yeah. like like no, like we need we have no money. We need to marry into wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, generation. What's the best way to get wealth? Is to, to just be born into it. <laughs> I was gonna say the best way to get wealth is to already have, have it. it. Yeah, yeah. Generational wealth is like the number one way that people get rich these days. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. I get it. Ooh. Yeah, but uh, it seems like we're already kind of dipping our toes in here um, to our theme gleans. Um, I know we've had various feelings while watching this movie. Um, do any big ones stand out to anybody that you guys kind of want to like jump into first? I have one. Let's hear it. And it's not, it's not even a critique. I don't even think it's necessarily a theme lean, but it's something I want to like get on the table early. Let's do it. it was all, it was a lot of what I could think about. This is such a... It's of its time. Mm-hmm. I think it's very fun. And I understand what it's what it's doing. And I think there's so much fun to what it's doing. But it's a very like post-feminist, like we're done. Everything's fixed. Look, she can carry the prince. Mm-hmm. And she can rescue herself. And she doesn't need help. And she's not just after a man. It's like driving that home so much. And I understand mm-hmm. that for its time. I think it it has its, its value. And it would be great if all of those things were true. Um, but it just, whenever I see stuff like this now through the lens of like what I know, it just mm-hmm. kind of is frustrating. Cause I think it like perpetuates that, like the thing that made it so difficult, um, a few years ago to start to have these conversations again, where everyone was like, no, we're done. Like, look, ever after Buffy and ever after mm-hmm. exists. And like, which I love Buffy so much, but like, it's just this, like a, such a post-feminist lens on a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we had to go there to get, I think we're getting a lot more nuanced portrayals of like really interesting versions of these stories now where they're more layered and human. Um, but like at the end when she rescues herself, I was like, I don't know, you could, you could have used help. Like mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the end of the world if somebody had to help you. <laughs> like It was just hard for me to, um, that kind of thing frustrates me now with the lens that we have and like with the the really more complex stories we get. Mm-hmm. But I do think we needed that to get to where we are. I just wanted that on the table that like it, it is extremely just very post-feminist. It, I, I agree with you 100%, Megan. And and that was one of the things that people praised for the movie when it came out at its time. Right, was, when it was came that out. It was so progressive, was so feminist-focused. Right. And I, I think you're right. Looking back on it 30 years later almost, it's like, hey, like this was great for its time. It was definitely pushing the boundaries of its time. Mm-hmm. A little heavy-handed. Yeah, and also she had to take off. I, I do like that maybe getting more into my actual theme gleam because I – have always liked the story of Cinderella. I never had the same beef with princess movies that mm-hmm. other people had. Um, I think we've talked about this a little bit. Like I kind of realized through conversations we've had that um, just because I am drawn to story, like romantic stories mm-hmm. and I like stories where the women are the main character and those tend to be, that is a princess story. And mm-hmm. I don't find any weakness in in that. 
Um, and those were kind of the, the only stories I had where women were the main characters, but so I like what I like about Cinderella in every iteration, as far as I know, is that she was, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. <laughs> like my favorite version of Cinderella is the Lily James version. Oh, uh, the, that the, came the Disney out. live action one. I loved it. It was the only live action Disney movie like remake thing that I really liked. I think it was one of the first. Uh, it was. But I like that in that movie, she's still kind. Like her her mm. qualities and, and defining features are still, are largely like coded as feminine. And mm. that's not a weakness. It's not a weakness to be either. But mm. in the Cinderella story, she's like one of her defining characteristics is kindness and mm. empathy and patience. And yeah, like she should stand up for herself. And in, I think at the end of the story in most versions, she does. That's kind of her like journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of watching this get a little prickly about, you know, when she's kind of like a tough guy. Um, yeah. but I do like that she has like, it seems like political opinions and like is very mm-hmm. smart. I think that's great. I like that they added that to her. Um, I just really, I don't ever want to get into a territory where I am, um, doing that thing where you ascribe more value to a woman or to a story about a woman because she has more traditionally masculine qualities. Right. And well, like the, the regular Cinderella that I like, the one I grew up with, like I was always fine. I was like, Oh, she's nice. And she wants to go to the ball. And like, that's what the story was. She wasn't after a prince, you know, my favorite is the one with Brandy. That's also a great one. <laughs> Everybody that's loves that one. one. We, just, we just talked about that one recently with Miriam on the show. Yeah. yeah. Miriam said they, they love that one. And also there's nothing... Sorry, I have so many thoughts about princesses. Go for it. The Cinderella thing, like, I know that was like a big, like, meme in like... <laughs> um, for a while they were like, no, Cinderella never wanted a man. She wanted to go to the ball. And I think... And she wanted a pretty dress. And she... And like, I always... That's how I read that story when I was a kid. She happened to meet like... A hot rich guy. That's like true. She get never, your bag, girl. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's true. She never said she wanted to meet the prince. Honestly, no. she, she tried to avoid him. Yeah, which is like a tale as old as time, trying yeah. to avoid a man. Oh. Um, but he, yeah, no, I just, I I like the OG Cinderella. I haven't read like the, the actual original, mm. original Cinderella. So when I say OG, I mean like Disney, the one that I grew up with. I just, I always get frustrated when people try to say that like those princess stories are weak. Like I understand why they need to be criticized, but I think it's way more fun to think about why those women are just as valuable. Also, there's nothing wrong with wanting to fall in love. That's, you're not weaker because of that. Right. You know? Yeah. And Okay, that's my spiel. <laughs> and, you know, I think something a little bit maybe forgotten about Cinderella, not forgotten, but undervalued in Cinderella <laughs> as their story. Not We're not talking about Gus Gus. <laughs> um, I love it. Oh know. my God. I just realized that Gustav is Gu- oh. Yeah. Gus Gus. My God. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm not talking about Gus Gus. <laughs> but uh, something that's underrated about Cinderella is that like in all iterations of her story, she's, she's tough. Yeah, she's, she is. She is a strong person like it takes a she, lot of strength a lot of mental emotional fortitude slippers <laughs> i've not They're i would painful 
They would shatter under my Constantly feet. Constantly breaking. <laughs> you have to, it's not an easy life. No, but Ricky, I know what you mean. Like it take, That's how I always saw it too. It takes a lot of strength to remain kind and Do soft that. when the world is not that way to you. Exactly. And so that's something, uh, you know, in general, and I fully understand this is coming from like a, a cis gendered male coming here and saying this, but like, like Megan was saying, like traditional feminine values and traditional feminine traits, traditional quote unquote, are things that people seem to deem as less valuable. I think you're totally okay with, so like as cis men who are more effeminate, like we have been also like persecuted because of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. For just dis- for distributing more classically feminine uh, traits, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I understand that. Less than, but yeah, like the the, the the feminine thing that that gets devalued a lot is like the emotional intelligence that a lot of women have. Like emotional intelligence is something that's considered to be more more of a feminine trait. Soft should, skills, right? Soft skills, exactly. We've yeah. talked about this on the show before, and that's we. Obviously, we're getting to a point where people are starting to realize that that's BS, and those skills are are as highly important as anything else. Mm-hmm. But show me the so, show me the receipts. <laughs> but Cinderella did distribute so much emotional and mental fortitude through her adversity yeah. that, mm-hmm. like, I think when people go back and look at the story and they're like, "Oh," and a man comes in and saves her, they're de- mm-hmm. I think they're devaluing how, like, like you said, she was not going there to find a man. Her being the strong and amazing woman that she is attracted a man. Mm-hmm. And sure, like it's nice that his position in life was able to elevate her. Like that's really that's fortunate. So great that he's rich. That's but great. But what if he wasn't? She could have just she well, could have that's all he is. But like I mean, what if he wasn't? What yeah. if he was just like what if he was like one of the 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 just like the attendants at the the ball and right. she met and fell in love with that guy and then she could move in with him and they could just live live as peasants and that could be a, a good happy life for her too i don't think she would have i think she just needs to get out of her stepmother's house mm-hmm. she could have met anybody at that ball and married them and i think she would have been way better off yeah you know and so yeah. I, I just think people under under don't give cinderella enough credit for the fact that she is an emotionally strong person right and like you said, to maintain and to retain being so kind through that adversity is like not, not something to be taken lightly because I think most people would be pretty jaded. Yeah, it's a thing to admire. And then it also gets kind of complicated because like I do in this movie, I do like that she, like I said, is like very obviously well-read. That's the thing. She, her dad bringing her books and stuff like that yeah. makes her socially and politically conscious yeah she has a great imagination and creativity and like uh, i like that she uses worldly view yeah yeah those things that like she that character has always had and she uses them on like a to like form opinions about the world at large and Mm -hmm. like have a political opinion and have and she has the um the guts to say it out loud to someone i think that that's great so I'm torn and I'm like, yes, it is kind of more of, more of a masculine coded thing to to be like loud and and brash and unabashed about your opinions. But I love when I don't know, it's it's hard for me because I don't want to say like she shouldn't be that way because I want her to mm-hmm. I don't know. 
it's I tricky. think it's just like remove like removing the gender stereotypes of how you should behave. Yeah. Which wouldn't have happened then, but I think it's like progressive in its message for even like 98 or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, like, yeah, it is attributing masculine qualities to this character, but I think it's just like saying that don't worry if you're not too, not like if you're a woman, don't worry if you're not effeminate enough. Like, like you're still a woman, even if you can kick ass, right? Like, well, I guess yes. But my worry when I'm when I'm watching these things, not to say that this is what this is doing, is the message that I think got over communicated in like the girl power era, which was it, you just shouldn't be too feminine. Um, which I think is like another, I don't think that's what this movie is trying to do. I think it's way more fun to read it the way that you're saying Seth, but I just am sensitive to that where I, well, I, because I am yeah, like more traditionally into like, I'm like, I have, I think I'm pretty soft-spoken normally, just, not right now. <laughs> I just think I, what I'm saying. So I think you're not going to see that in this because mm. it's about a woman. So you would have to put that mirror up to a, a non-traditional story about a man. Well, it'd be cool if they, they made the prince a little more, well, anything. He's just kind of... He's a whiny rich boy. He's just kind of there. He um, is I the wish worst, had more. potentially the worst Prince Charming to ever exist. I don't know. Have you seen the live action Maleficent? Because that guy was not it. I don't know. I don't know. Maleficent? Uh, I, am, I, I Gosh, I haven't watched Maleficent. Put it on either. the list. I like the movie. It's just that prince was <clears throat> not, not uh, it. I think that's kind of the point of that movie is she's like, why? Yeah. Oh, Maleficent, it's not Prince Charming. Maleficent is Prince Philip. Prince Philip, yeah. Who was my favorite Disney prince when I was a kid. So maybe that's why I was extra sensitive. Why? Because he was handsome and he had a horse and he could dance and they met in the woods. And he killed the dragon. Those were all my reasons. Yeah. Okay. I like that he could dance. He could dance. He, could he dance. dance. He danced with a with an owl and a jacket. Could dance. Yeah, I thought that was cute. <laughs> he loves animals. He's well dressed. <laughs> He's in tune with nature. We're get, we're really getting an insight into Megan's type. What I mean is, is like what I'm trying to say, and I hear you, Megan, that like there's nothing wrong with femininity, and you don't need to remove feminine qualities. You, you don't you don't need to make women feel like they have to be less feminine to be good which i agree with but i think the only way to to like highlight that is to look at it from the opposite perspective because women have been so forced to be feminine in some ways Mm. yeah yeah. so so it's like okay then you need to look at a man who's permitted his femininity and his yes sexuality right at the same time yeah i think that they should have done that with the prince a little better i agree yeah um I think what honestly like what we're really kind of like butting up against here is this idea of like the fact that there are assigned masculine and feminine traits at all. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's the, that's like and like of course that's that's an argument that has been made like why do we even ascribe any a trait Arbitrary, to being more masculine yeah. and feminine? And that's like for me this movie really hit the most with like this idea of like narratives. Because it's, you know, the movie starts off with the Brothers Grimm coming in. And obviously the Brothers Grimm, who are famous for ha- having written okay. down all these fairy tales. 
I want to be able to do what that grand the 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 great granddaughter did. Just be like, okay, okay, sit down, brothers Grimm. Here's how no, the story. No, I, I want to be able to communicate in a way that a a whole like like you were the way she, <laughs> the way she starts the story it's like it's like she is making a movie happen like (laughs) (laughs) when she talks like a movie just starts playing in everyone's minds yeah yeah like once upon a time there was a girl who loved her father very very much yeah and it was like i don't know just the way it was constructed it was like there had to be a movie start Mm -hmm. and so i want to be able to do that I want to be able to be like, and then we, and then all of a sudden, everybody. The movie happens. The movie happens. I think that was a very, like you're saying, like quick sidebar. Mm. I think, Seth, you're right that it's a really interesting um, version of the story and a, an interesting idea. And I like the way they framed it, like that <laughs> once upon a time bit. Very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated that. I thought that was whimsical. Well, not just whimsical. I think, honestly, it's it's thematic in, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways where the the story the story quote unquote of the movie is about a story right it's a story about a story that people have told wrong so i'm going to tell the true the true story behind the story and so like it's all about these like narratives and the way that people view other people like the mm-hmm. stories that we say the things that we say about one person and also like the things that we say and the narratives that we construct for ourselves right yeah like, for example, uh, Rod Milla, who's Angelica Houston's character, has a narrative that she's following to the letter in her mind. Mm-hmm. She's like, this is this is the way my life needs to be. This is the way it's supposed to end. This is my happily ever after. Mm-hmm. This is, and I'm going to pursue it. And I, she, she's so blinded within the pages of her own book, right? She's like, I, I can only look here and i can't look at what's going on all around me i have to yeah i have to just keep reading until i get to the end and what's great about cinderella is in, in, in or danielle uh danielle is a reader right she, she and, the, and the fact that she's read many different books allows her to see a larger narrative in the world and she doesn't let anybody tell her what she's supposed to be or mm-hmm. who she's supposed to be the role that she's supposed to play and same with the prince, right? The prince is like, I'm being told that I have to follow this narrative and I don't want to. And so I'm just going to yeah. try and run away. Um, and and even even to an extent, like he even like is like trying to like play within his narrative. Like, okay, I have to get married, right? Okay, well, what if, what if I choose a bride by this time, right? And so for me, it's a lot about like the, 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 the confines that you put on yourself of like the story that you tell yourself about yourself mm-hmm. a little bit um and about the person that you are is what i is what i'm really seeing a lot in this story you yeah. are not you but only what you are mm-hmm. well i can well, see that and also sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say like this is something that i think i i i have a lot of issues in my life with where I, I think I, I view myself in a particular way mm-hmm. and I think that constrains me from doing certain things sometimes for the better sometimes sometimes potentially not for the better right it, it there's a particular view I have of myself that's very set in stone for better or worse and 
it causes friction in my life. I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of why I, I I feel like I should make it clear. Like I'm, I'm glad this movie exists. I think it makes like an interesting, like, um, presents an interesting idea. Like I I said before, that is necessary for the continued conversation. Um, so I want to say that. Mm -hmm. And also I think Cinderella is a really interesting character and I've always really liked versions of her story because similar to what you're saying, Ricky, like her as like a quiet, nerdy, like big reader as a kid, I developed like a really vivid internal world Mm -hmm. and also um, a capacity to, I feel like hopefully understand people a little better and also to to imagine different lives for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think in every version of Cinderella, oh, actually maybe not in the Disney, the like fifties one, but that is a big part of her character is like, she has, she might be quiet in a lot of versions, not this one, but she is so um, imaginative and brave in turn. Like she is like taking the time to understand herself and the world around her in a quieter way. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that so much. And I think that that it deserves credit. I don't think it gets a lot of credit a lot of the time. I think there's a lot of emphasis put on just like immediately like acting before thinking a lot of the time, um, which doesn't necessarily always work out very well. And I think the fact that Danielle is so well-read and has been kind of forced into the margins, I think this is the thing with like any marginalized group of people or person you just get really good at imagining and like kind of like observing situations and people and um, knowing both your place and also like how to get to the place you want to be. So I think she's the one character in the movie who is more open to the possibilities and more hopeful, even though maybe her circumstances are not the best Yeah, because of that exposure to other stories and that like rich inner world that she's created. And I think that is like a really cool part of this character. Yeah. And I love that in every version. She's a, she's a yes. Ander, you know, we yeah. see, we see her throughout the story, like be presented with new things and new situations and new opportunities. And she almost always takes advantage of it. Right. right. She's always she... like, yeah, like I'll go do that. I'll go do yeah. this. I'll go to the monastery. I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll I will... play with this new kite. I would like yeah. to do all these things. I would like to uh, humor an abstraction, if you will, sure. uh, with me. Uh, so I never, I didn't know that Cinderella, <coughs> I didn't know that Cinderella was a reference to Cinder. Like mm. I learned that from this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I find that interesting and like hearing what you guys are saying, like, okay, so my theme glean was connected to servitude, right? Like there's wisdom to be, to be gained from servitude that would help even the highest of highest of stations, like a king, right? Um, because C- Cinderella has been a, a, a servant her whole life, essentially, uh, she's very wise, you know, um, 
she's kind of like straddling these two worlds. Like she's like in the, the world of Lordship, but she's not part of it, you know, but that, that being said, I think it's interesting that her name's Cinderella and that she is someone who tends a fire, you know? Um, well, yeah. And I, I actually just looked this up. The name Ella has uh, roots uh, meaning fairy, maiden, uh, and goddess. So she's like, she's the one that tends the fire, right? And mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've ever, like, I've actually gotten really into tending fire um, in the past couple years. And it is a unique job um, because it's a very pensive job Mm -hmm. uh it's it's not easy you sweat a lot you get burnt a lot um you're and you're you're keeping the fire going for everybody else right like without you it gets cold Mm -hmm. it's also like something that brings everyone together it is this, the, the place that keeps the house warm, you know, um, it was the first television. Like it's what you'd sit in front of and stare at and think and talk. And it was this, it was the centerpiece of conversation. Um, so it's, I don't, I don't know. I like, and it's also fire, like though it does burn wood, it is, the thing that helps mold steel. So like, it is, this is an abstraction, but it's just interesting. I'm just saying like, her job in the house as this servant who tends the fire is going to create in a person a very phil- a, a very philosophical mm-hmm. position. Like, yeah. And she's like, we see that in this movie, which is really cool. She is very philosophical um, and, and wise, you know, mm-hmm. like the fire tender, the fire tender in, throughout history is also the person in the tribe that tells stories and is the, uh, is kind of like, it's their job to keep the fire going. And it's their job to, to, to tell stories. So I don't know. I, I'm just spouting um, poetically here. Uh, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. I like that. And not only that, she's also like, like we said, she's a reader. Yeah. You know? Like she, it makes sense that she, like you said, she story is so central to who Cinderella is. She is the person she is because her dad read to her. It created, created, like you said, this, person embedded this idea of worlds beyond yourself views beyond yourself people beyond yourself where that idea was implanted in her as a child and and it's something that she not only like relates to her dad which is which is really really cool but also like is so central to the human being that she is Mm. that she she believes very truly 
like that. She's like, I could read. Honestly, it's it's weird because that's like something that like Belle from from Beauty and the Beast is more known for for being like mm-hmm. this like bookworm, for lack of a better word. Um, well, I also think that the type of people who are, I, I don't know, it's like how every leading lady in a romantic comedy is like a journalist or a mm. editor. Or they something. need to be like, like book, they like, need to be bookie. Well, also, I just feel like the the type of people and. Like in this case, like little girls, especially who, well, no, I guess it's for, it's for, it should be for all kids, but I, I think like little girls who have like rich imaginary mm. worlds are typically big readers and typically drawn to movies and typically like, I think there's kind of a cross section there too. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that there's also, there should be movies about, you know, girls who climb lots of trees and mm-hmm. fight people. That's fine. Seth, you, 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 you talking about like this like idea of stories and like, and like relating Danielle and her love of stories and like looking how like her dad, like put that in there. It really reminds me a lot of like, for me that, that thing is music for me. My dad is a musician. Um, and he, he implanted this love of music in me really young, even before I realized that's what was happening. Like growing up, my dad was always like, I remember I have like weird flashes of memories of being out at like a bar or like a restaurant or like a park and running around and my dad's like in the center with his band playing music and I would like go and like watch for like two seconds and then I'd go be running around but like this like celebration of like music was really big I was even I remember my dad was recording an album I can't remember how old I was when this happened but he was recording a new album and he brought me to the recording studio in St. Louis with him, like, several days. It was, like, during the summer. Um, and he brought me to the recording studio while they were recording this new album. And, like, he would set me up in, like, the office area with his computer. And I would be playing backyard baseball, listening to my dad play and record music in the room next door. And they had a big bowl of Jolly Ranchers in the office. And so I was eating, like, 30 Jolly Ranchers a day. <laughs> Playing backyard baseball on my dad's laptop while he's like recording an album. And every so often, I like pop into the to the uh, to the booth, not to where they're recording, but to like the sound booth, mm-hmm. and, and and then like watch them record. And I, I like it's one of my favorite memories of yeah. of my childhood. Is like not just because of all the Jolly Ranchers that I got to enjoy, <laughs> but because like I remember going like going to St. Louis, which is like a 20, 30 minute drive from our hometown just with me and my dad, all his musical equipment was there. Like him including me in this process that was so important to him mm-hmm. felt special, felt exciting. And like, while I not may not be like a, a great musician, like I love to play the piano. I play, I dabble with guitar and bass. When I listen to music, I listen and feel, and music is just such, so ingrained in me that I'm always listening to music. Music is when I write move, when I'm writing screenplays and stuff like that, I ha- constantly have music on. Mm-hmm. And I, when I write screenplays, I write specifically, I write music into those screenplays. For me, music is such an essential part of expression and it's such an essential part of me expressing myself. And I think it's because of it being implanted by my dad so young, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if that's something he was doing on purpose or if he was just, you know, doing the thing that he loves and by osmosis, kind of sunk into me more um i don't know but like seeing danielle's relationship with her dad and and books 
that just yeah. Seth, you talking about storytelling and that just kind of gave me a realization of like why I think that like I wish the dad was in the, this movie longer. I remember, yeah, I remember that part in the beginning as a kid making me very upset. Yeah. Because um, he's such a sweet dad. Well, he's a sweet dad. Um, also, uh, as the child of divorce pretty mm-hmm. early on, like watching a dad, and I had like, luckily, my mom, who's like the absolute best, so it's not exactly the same, mm-hmm. but a little like six-year-old me watching this movie and being like, oh, her dad's leaving. And then her dad dies. I was like, oh no, like that can happen. Like, well, I was so freaked out and I was watching it with my dad and I was like, I remember like clinging to him. Like you have to promise that you'll never leave here on a horse. Um, It just really, really freaked me out and made me so sad. Uh, And I, I guess that's the main connection I have with it. And my relationship with my dad is like that fear and that sadness. But also, also I do like that he, like I said earlier about my dad, like showing me this movie. And I remember every like gift he got me was like, he got me like um, the box set of Chronicles of Narnia. And like both of my parents were very much always trying to like encourage imagination and creativity in like, whether it was like watching movies or reading. It makes sense why you like fantasy so much. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense now. mm Mm-hmm. It was, think, it was it was it was it was planted in there just like, like yeah. music was for me that the Chronicles of Narnia ever after like is it like those things were like those were with like my dad yeah my yeah. dad took me to see like the first three Harry Potter movies um they fostered was, the fantasy in you yeah that was like the the thing we That's we awesome. talked about the most so I def, that definitely also hits home like her relationship with her dad and him bringing her books can I try to do another thing sure you don't have to ask you know you can that, do right? whatever i know you but can... it's it's like what happens is, is the conversation continues and then like i actually am like piecing together a whole world of a that's what you bring to the podcast yeah i know but so i think do I, it. I think a better <laughs> another better a, a better way or a, another way to look at this is uh or a theme i guess is surviving the fire mm-hmm. right so like trial by fire it's trial by fire and things can get really hot right yeah like, they can they can get really re- yeah i mean we saw that scene with with uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> the, the the stepmother and the page right yeah like that's some that's some uh hot stuff uh but uh (laughs) but um what i'm trying to say is sand or ash or i guess sand uh fire fire is transformative Mm -hmm. right so it's like cinderella is Cinderella is the person that tends the fire and it's trans like, she's got to go through the fire, mm-hmm. you know, but on the other side, she will be transformed. And mm-hmm. so like into like, glass into or some glass. say, or some say fur. 
<laughs> yeah. But I mean, like that's like the glass slipper is a good representation of what can something that survives the trial by fire mm-hmm. can be transformed into. And I think, that's interesting. and I think, and I think this is how you are made like, in real life. And this is something that I, I am fascinated with is the true, like how something becomes something, something beautiful or something, um, extraordinary right is it does have to survive the fire everything else gets burned away i was just gonna say some things are transformed by the fire but some things are destroyed by the fire and and i think we see that the mirroring of that in rod milla in in, uh, angelica houston's character where her trial by fire destroyed her as Mm -hmm. like her destroyed her soul basically she is but you know and what's crazy is we do see the thing about fire or about like when fire burns something, it doesn't just disappear. Like there is remnants left behind, yeah. right? So like, and I wanted to bring this up because, and I think this is kind of a natural spot to do it because I do think like, like Rodmilla's upbringing destroyed her as a, her destroyed her soul, essentially. Her her harsh life destroyed her. Mm-hmm. Do you think she ever loved August, Daniel's dad? What do you guys think? Do she? Do you think, I think she? I bet he was hard him? not to love. I bet he was hard not to love. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Megan? Do you think she actually loved him? I don't know. I I thought about that because there was that moment. That's when, a, yes. That's what I'm bringing up the scene. Yeah. It's just hard because she plays. I think she plays it so well. Like uh, that scene where she's. Are you talking about the one where she's talking to Danielle and mm-hmm. she says like you have so much of your father yes. in you? And I can't tell if that's jealousy for the also like what was her relationship like with her dad is a mm-hmm. question that I would like to know. She never says the answer. She only to. talks about her mom. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's probably true when she says I barely, does she say something like I, I barely, barely knew him? him. So I think she probably felt like she really could love him and was robbed think, of a life and a love that she yeah. had been like waiting for. I think this is this is just me, just my own personal feelings on it. Obviously, the movie is is intentionally vague about it, because um, that it wants you to kind of like put your own feelings onto it. I think based on her reaction when he dies, like the way she reacts at that moment, mm. and then she gets really, her eyes get really glassy in mm-hmm. that scene. Like they get, she starts to tear up when she's talking about. When Daniel asked that question, did you ever love my dad? Right. And like she, her eyes get really glad. And I think that's involuntary. Mm-hmm. I think she did. I think she she was swept up, swept away by this guy. Yeah. Because she's so jaded. She's so cold. And what about this guy? Well, she probably. Because he, he had some money, but he still had to work for a living. He's still a working yeah. class guy. It's not like he was super duper rich. He had an so estate, who- but. He still had From to work. What you said, I didn't really catch that part in the movie. She like worked her way to her mm-hmm. title, which means she's probably, I mean, she's that way because maybe like a, an intrinsic kind of like cutthroatness, but mm-hmm. also she had to become a certain way to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably pretty 
um, comforting to find somebody who maybe would let her be soft for a second and then to have that ripped away. Yeah. And then on top of that, which I think that I think it's so fucked up when he like says, I love you to his daughter and she looks mad at him. (laughs) I like, Mm -hmm. that's really disturbing. Um, but yeah, there's to have that ripped away and not have like any sort of closure goodbye Mm -hmm. is yeah. doubled, made her double down on her. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's a mixture of like what you guys were, what you you guys were both saying where it's like, maybe she wasn't like fully in love with him yet, but she was Mm -hmm. in love with the possibility of loving him. And the life that she could. Like, she's like, I really like him. And I I could easily, I feel myself maybe being able to fall in love with this guy. And it's, Mm -hmm. it got taken away so quickly. And Mm -hmm. that like, that prospect of like, like you said, this warm and kind man who would have made her life so much not kinder and nicer and more warm. Yeah. I think she, and she did have feelings for him. Yeah. And yeah. And like, like you said, losing him caused her to double down on her, mm-hmm. on her coldness. Like I, I open myself up for a second mm-hmm. and immediately I, I get hurt. And so I'm going yeah. to go back to my cold conniving ways. Cause that's, that's the only thing that's going to like, going to get me to survive. Yeah, right? exactly. And I'm sure there was fear there too, like seeing him say goodbye to, and I love you to his daughter, which is what he should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very, a good dad. I think that probably, it seemed like while she was feeling sadness, she was also feeling a fear of like, okay, is she's this girl. If she gets everything mm-hmm. from her dad, could take away like if I don't exert my power now yeah. I could lose everything so I have to I think it was really fear motivated to yeah. like her suddenly like or, or really aggressively switching to like evil stepmother mode yes she was afraid of losing everything yes and in that scene where she they're having this conversation where she's brushing her hair and she says like the like you said the you look so much like your father I can like mm-hmm. it's like I can see him through your eyes and mm. I think that was a genuine slip for yeah. me, I don't think that was a manipulative tactic. I think that was a genuine slip. And then she realizes what she's doing mm-hmm. and then has to backtrack. Oh, you know, because mm-hmm. you're just, because you've always, you always had masculine, you're like always been more masculine because you raised by a man. So it makes sense mm-hmm. that you would be more manly. And she like walks mm-hmm. it back to like protect herself. Makes it mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a real sadness in that because like I think, yeah. I, I like the, examining this part a little more. I haven't, I hadn't really thought about it. But, I think in that moment, maybe she could see, God, Angelica Houston's so good. She's great. I think she's, <laughs> she's really so good. good in this movie. She's really, um, really good. She's good in everything. But I think in that moment, it feels like she could see like her, like a potential like sister life or like other direction where like maybe she went, like decided not to be terrified of losing everything and like not having control. Right. And was like a loving, maybe she could have had a loving family life with this, new daughter and her daughters mm-hmm. I feel like for a second she could see like this potentially maybe not as aesthetically like ideal life but a little bit she just would have felt better about herself and her actions mm-hmm. like you could kind of see that in her eyes yeah well that's the whole issue with with her character is that she can't let go of the idea of the way that she's supposed to live She's mm-hmm. supposed to live in wealth. She's supposed to live in comfort. And you have to be not... willing. You have to be willing to let yeah. things burn in order to get a fire going. Right. You have to destroy 
something. Yeah. Fire destroys something. There's a there's, fire needs fuel. Right. Fire. You have to sacrifice something to get a fire. You know. Yeah. Can't, fires just don't come out of nowhere. You gotta burn something. There will be warmth gleaned. Yeah. It's really scary also to um, switch modes from like that controlling fear-based yeah. thing. And if she did that, she would have to come to terms with things she's done in the past that probably that version of her wouldn't be very proud of. It would take a lot of a lot of self-reflection. She just needs to stare at a fire a while, you know. Oh. Speaking of self-reflection, I... the prince. The prince. Yeah. He's there. He's (laughs) she's she's everything. He's just Ken. It makes me really mad that she ends up with him at the end of the movie. Like it really does. Like I'm glad that she like Well that's the thing. Sorry. Go ahead, keep going. (laughs) No, I mean that's it. Like I I like Gustav. I want you know, I wanted her to like just be happy with Gustav and (laughs) You look like a girl! (laughs) The thing about this movie, and movies like this, I like... Okay. I have so many thoughts. (laughs) The passion, the fire has arrived. I love it. Okay. So I do, talking about, like, the Angelica Houston of it, and, like, the... I like that this movie feels like it's 50%, like, her genuine character development. Uh, Maybe 60% Mm -hmm. that, and 40% Prince. Like, I really like that. It doesn't feel like only a love story. Um, I think that the fact that in the end, she's still like, she, they make all these points again to be like, she can rescue herself and she can fight back and she can carry the prince and she can punch and which I do. I did think it was very cathartic to see her punch her stepsister. I think that that was necessary, but like all of that. And then still at the end to marry this guy who, yes, like it's a smart thing to do because he can get you out of where you are and you'll be rich. But this guy who's like not that great, it just feels, it's just so like, it's so early 2000s, late 90s. Like we have the power, but also definitely still get your man. But also like, it just is so almost there, but still backwards. Hey, sorry to interrupt your favorite podcast, but I'm here to tell you about Shrimp and Crits, an actual play podcast with a southern twist. My name is Ian, and I am the keeper for this show as we play Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. If you like the sound of swampy monster mayhem, gators gone shopping, and magical fairy mischief, you will be right at home in the remote panhandle town of Gullicochica, Florida, where spooky danger has begun to wash ashore. Shrimp and Crits is the story of Sarah Payne the Mundane. All I'm asking for is answers. That's all I'm looking for is the truth. Ari Green the Searcher. You know the proclamations of the fame. I suggest you follow them from now on. And Ray Ray, the most mundane monstrous you will ever meet. Mr. Zeus, I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I knew you were I knew you were real. Um and Ray Ray's just like bowing in front of this swan. As they fumble their way through protecting their skeptical town from mysterious evils. We release new episodes every other Monday on the podcatcher of your choice. Hope to see you soon in Sunny Gullicoach. Let's let's look into this a little bit more. When I'm writing a a story that has some kind of 
romantic plot in there, you need to really think about like why do these two need to be together? What is it that the other person has that the first person is like in need of, right? Like what is it that draws them to that person? Now in real life, there's like lots of complexities to those answers in there, but in a movie, there needs to be a reason. There needs to be a reason that that person and this person need to be together. They need to be together. So here's the question for Prince Henry and Danielle. What are those things? I, I think clearly for him, for him, she expands his mind. Mm-hmm. He's very, very sheltered. Grew up as a prince. She like gets him to like think about other more important things. Like he's a child narcissist. Yeah. He's a nepo baby. Yeah. Yeah, and and like for example, like the moment where like she, she, he helps her buy back one of her servants, one of the people that she that worked for in her in her estate. She's like, "Yeah, you help me buy one person, you could free all those people." Mm-hmm. And you and you don't. Like you could you could absolve all those people of their debts if you wanted to. And you don't. He did. He does, which is nice. But um, you know what I mean? It's like this. It's this whole idea that we have right now in our current culture, of like if all like there's like seven hundred something billionaires in the world. If each of them would give a very small percentage of of their wealth, they that they wouldn't even miss. Mm-hmm. If they each would just give a little bit, it would end world hunger forever, like mathematically. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of shit. Where it's like it, it's pennies to you, but if you all would just do it, you can make everybody's lives better. I know that's a very that's a very socialist thing to say. That's a very communist type thing to say. And I know those are some hot topic issues for some people, but it, you know. It's like, hey, if you could, if seven hundred people would give a penny to a person and they would be set for life, why wouldn't, you, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you took that mm-hmm. perspective, like, I don't know. It's, it's, and she's like, she's like, you think you did such a great thing? You're not even doing the bare minimum of what you could do to help people. Yeah. And so I get what he sees in her. She challenges him where no one else has in his entire life. And so, and, and expects more of him. And that's, feels good when someone's like, you're capable of more. It feels good when someone mm-hmm. believes that in you. So I get what he gets at from her. What does she get from him? She gets uh, the means to, uh, she gets the means to be in a position that is more appropriate to her philosophical philosophical, her wisdom like like she gets yes but that's external you know what i mean that's like that's yes that's true but like right like look like i said if we're looking at this in a real world aspect like again people get into relationships for lots of different reasons and sometimes it is political status and and wealth but that's not what this movie that's what not what this movie is trying to assert this movie is like this is true love. This is it? Is, I don't this know. is love of a fairy tale. It's almost magically divine. When people tell this story in the future, they they they're saying it's so I think fantastical. The fairy, the fairy tale is magic. That, the fairy fairy tale is that a servant became a queen. That's the fairy tale. 
I don't think their love is true. I don't think it can be with this guy, even the way the story is told. Like it's not true love. It's, it's you don't think so? No, 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 no. It it's is, happily ever after. Is it? I That's mean, what the name of the story is. I, I guess. Ever no, after. it's not. No, it's not happily ever after. It's just mm-hmm. ever after. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, I think, I mean, the whole point of this movie was to ground Cinderella, right? Like to, to bring it to a realistic place. And like the prince isn't Prince Charming. He is a narcissist, you know, like, and the truth is Cinderella is way too smart to just be a fire tender in a house, you know? So I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think that I would be more okay with the ending with the, like, Mm. she still has the traditional happily ever after. If it seemed like he was bringing something, if it, if it seemed like she was like, okay, I can, I can do all this stuff for myself, but I'm choosing to have a partner because I really love him. But because of the question you're posing and the fact that we can't come up with an answer for why she would, (laughs) what she's getting out of this other than the status, the status that she, the rest of the movie is about her not needing. He's fine. He's He's attractive. Yeah. He's out of Drew Barrymore's league. No, don't. Are you kidding? I disagree. So beautiful. Yeah, I disagree. I think Drew Barrymore. I'm not attracted to. Oh my god, Drew Barrymore. I love Drew Barrymore. I'm not attracted. She's ethereal. I've been in love with Drew Barrymore since Fifty First Dates. That's very yeah. She's gorgeous. I'm not. I think she's not my type. I love Drew Barrymore. Um, I yeah. I I just I think I would have liked the ending better if I had more reason to believe that she would have a fun life with him. Um. Otherwise, you know, the rest of the movie, she kind of didn't, I don't know. I think I would have preferred her to just like end up leaving on her own. Man, you guys are down on Prince Henry. No, I don't, I don't hate him. I just like your question. This what is, does she get? Like, I don't, right. I can't think of anything. This is what I, this is my theory. I don't know if the movie necessarily portrays this very well, but this is what I think. So she challenges him, Right. She opens his mind. I think what attracts her to him is the fact that he's willing to open his mind. His childlike mm-hmm. eagerness to learn. Yeah. he He's a person of station. He is a Nepo baby. He is royalty. And yet he is open to being criticized and he is open to be, being shown different ways of thinking, which is rare for a child of anybody of, of wealth. Yeah. And I think – that is kind of attractive to be yeah, like, right, you're yeah. willing to be open and learn. You're willing to and, listen to me and listen. Yeah. You're willing. Well, the like, bar is in hell. Like, yeah. like, look, like, like it's low. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's low. That's a low bar to clear. But like in, think about it, that time period, but the idea that, the idea that somebody would be, somebody of his stature would be willing to allow somebody lower than himself to, to criticize him and to, to tell him that's just another way of framing that's another way of framing what i'm saying like i i it isn't it isn't because you you're talking about an external motivation i want to be in a position where i can influence other people where this is this person respects me and said and says i want to listen to what you have to say 
Mm-hmm. And I, because I yeah, believe what you powerful. said has value. I yeah. think that's more personal and more why she would be so attracted to him because he's willing to listen to her immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, oh, okay. Like, you, whoa. And that's, again, in, in that time period, that would be insane. He would, anybody else would just have her murdered. Like, no, off, send her to America, kill her. We, I don't need this shit. You know what I mean? Don't tell me that I'm a piece of shit. I'm rich. Leave me alone. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to be king one day. You know what I mean? I think that is special about him. Yeah. I'm not saying the movie does a great job of like making him very likable because it doesn't. He's kind of a <laughs> he's kind of a whiny a whiny baby. Yeah. Um, and he, he's kind of a jerk a lot of times. But you know, look, like here's another thing: he does not have a fragile ego. She right. she saves him from the Romani. And he doesn't like have a moment of like being like, oh, oh like uh, I'm the guy. I'm supposed to save you. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. he just accepts it. He's like, yeah. yeah, thank you. You know, which I think is like Seth, you were saying, maybe we need to see like the the inverse with like a, a man kind of accepting yeah. or embracing those roles. I think that is a, an instance of that. It was nice to see that, to see him just be like, no, I needed help. Thank you for helping. Even though he didn't, that was kind of um, implied, I think, mm-hmm. that he was grateful. Yeah, it's like how no, said it. how embarrassing. It. I mean, so like, because he did tell her not to come down, because he's like, I'll fight them. Don't come down. Yeah, and like you know, kind of defer to the more like masculine traditional chivalry that he's probably known. But as soon as she comes down and starts talking to the guy, he doesn't like jump in and be like, no, like shut up. You know, he like lets her he lets her cook, as the kids say these days. He lets her cook, and she saves him, and even and at the same time wins over the love and the admiration of the Romani, which then become allies to them later. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I think there is something that shows that he respects her very, very much. And not just respects her because I know she's like pretending to be a a courtier. Um, But like he respects what she has to say, which is really, really rare in that time period. I agree. I think I'm kind of jaded because when you're saying, well, I know I'm jaded, but um, when you're saying this, I'm also, my first thought is, well, he, I think first listened to her because she was hot. Like, I think if she were Look, I, whatever unattractive, gets you there. whatever gets or, you there, I know, but it just, it's kind of frustrating. If she were unattractive or an older woman, or I just don't think he would have given the space to her Probably for her not. to prove that she was worth listening to. Or um, was it because she smacked him with an apple? <laughs> That'll do it. That's true. She like literally knocks some sense into him. That'll get your attention. <laughs> oh. And I also, um, just a quick sidebar about the slipper in this case. I thought it was very funny that it was a mule. It's an open back shoe, which mm. means that it doesn't really matter what shoe size she is. <laughs> like it just, that would have fit almost anybody. I like that they didn't shoes. do this like, like, oh, I don't know whose shoe this is. Yeah, and that's like, true. Like, they, no, they no, no. He knows who he wants. He's at least not a total idiot yeah. like in the original one. Yeah. I can't recognize faces. I have, yeah. I have facial blindness. <laughs> that shot, that shot, a with, classic. That shot with him in the rain with the glass slippers. <laughs> He's just standing there like Charlie Brown, <laughs> <laughs> like staring at the glass yeah. slipper. That is uh, that is the one part of the original fairy tale that annoys me so much. Is like you can't recognize the woman's face. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like just because she's in a different. Oh, outfit? he didn't in this movie. He didn't in this movie either. At first, yeah, he, that, he ran that. into her, and then twenty minutes later, he sees her, and it's like, duh. 
Well, you she know? did give him a concussion. That's true. And she was kind of hiding her face. She was she like was. kneeling. She was. She was face, head down. He may not have gotten a and good look at her. Yeah. And he he like in his head he's like that's a servant. Yeah. And then he sees a courtier later. So like mm-hmm. like yeah. the two like just like I guess were incongruous to him. Yeah. That he didn't make the connection. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I think that's what this movie is trying to say is that like cuz no one else respects what what no one else above her respects mm-hmm. what Danielle has to say. Mm-hmm. Like, like Gustav respects what she has to say. Her her fellow like workers and servants and peasants all respect her. Leonardo da Vinci respects her because mm-hmm. he's a what a great character. He's awesome. He's fun. He's yeah. great. But anybody above her station doesn't care what she has to say until she well, starts talking to the prince. I think da Vinci is, and, and like to 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 like again take a look at the the fire metaphor, right? Like Da Vinci is proof of the trial by fire. Like if you have, if you've got it, it will survive the fire. And Mm -hmm. Da Vinci, even though he was, he was a peasant, it was undeniable that what he was doing was, was worth something, you know? And so like he was able to transcend his station because he brought something to the table or a lot of things to the table, you know, um, the hope of every artist. Yeah. 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 Honestly. I mean, I, I didn't honestly like that's, I'm that's, it's cool that we're pulling this out of, of this story, like to be, to, to take an old fairy tale and learn something new from it. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that's what's one. That's what I think is, good about adaptation and reimagining and it's like we can store like people are more willing to watch a story that they are familiar with you know what i mean like that's one of the reasons why reboots and sequels are so big in the movie business these days people like the comfort of a of a commodity they already understand and are, and are aware of more so than something that's unproven and unfamiliar and what's yeah. nice about this movie is that it's if you took away any t- allusion to Cinderella at all, like like didn't even try and like pretend that it was related to Cinderella even a little bit, it's still a worthwhile fantasy romance. Yeah. Like historical romance. Um and like you said, Seth, like taking but then but adding the Cinderella aspect to it probably made this film a lot more accessible to a lot of people. Where if it was just called, I don't know, something random, I don't know if people would, I don't know if this movie would have made $98 million if it didn't have the... I mean, ever after, I, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was a Cinderella story. Well, the, some in some markets, it's ever after, colon, a Cinderella story. Like mm. they, they... In, in, in an advertising, I'm pretty sure they made it very clear that this is like a Cinderella adaptation. They, yeah. I think they probably leaned very heavily on the fact that this is a Cinderella story. You know what I mean? And that's probably one of the reasons why it, it made money. It's interesting that, yeah, uh, also probably because it was like during the Disney Renaissance and all that. Yeah. And everybody was like... Height of the Disney Renaissance. On. Yeah. So uh, I do think it's interesting that like there's... 
I didn't remember that there was no magic in this one None. at all. Not even, not even, For a, some reason. not even a pretend. Right. Like I thought maybe we would get something during the transformation. Um, so it was just interesting to realize that like, no, it's, it's pretty, I mean, other, I don't know how grounded it is for like Leonardo da Vinci to give you a makeover, but it's pretty grounded. And I, I do kind of miss, that's the thing is like, I feel like a lot of people go to fairy tales for that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to be like, well, what if there was none of that in this story you love so much? Mm. And it, not to say it's bad, like it was a really interesting take, but I, I did miss the magic. Oh yeah. Um, but also I think there's something to be said for making magical things in you know well magical moments well it is magic that, that, yeah that, that, the, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna beat this to a pulp i guess but like <laughs> but like the transformative nature like like the fact that a servant became a queen is insane that's uh -huh. that's magical the fact right. the, the fact that like the fact that Da Vinci was able to come up with things that allowed him to transcend his station is magical. Like the actual production or creation of new things that are valid in the world is an insanely magical thing. It, it seems mundane, but like the fact that you're able to create anything new is, is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, removing all the, I think removing all the magical elements on like a soup, like a hyperbolically magical place is, is like a bold move, but at the same time, it highlights like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying like, when you look at, when you look at where, where she ended up versus mm -hmm. where she started, the odds of that, especially in the time period are, are magic. Like that's magic. No, I totally agree. I think it does highlight the fact that like, yeah, incredible things can happen without like a, a supernatural force. Mm -hmm. The most magical thing that happens in this movie is those, those walk on water shoes. Yeah. Love those. Big fan. Which Bring would not back. work the way they're designed. We don't know. No. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Prove it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that those would need to be much bigger, oh. but not. I'm not saying that that's like not not possible because I mean obviously like <laughs> surfboards work. So like, oh yeah, yeah. they're well, like being Very standing easy. on something that floats obviously works. But I just yeah. think those shoes are maybe just a little bit too small because if he puts all his weight on one, which you yeah, have to do when you down. walk, it's definitely yeah. gonna go below the line. But I do like the shot of him walking on the water where he's very clearly like the water's like maybe only like this thick. Yeah. Like this deep. And he's very clearly like walking on hard ground yeah. up to her who's floating. I, and then they cut to him just like looking down. It's like very clearly we could not get them right next to each other because it's, it's cute. It, yeah. I was like clever. I was it like is. movie making magic. You guys had her in a pool <laughs> and you had him on a, on a like a little flooded platform. On a, on a tanning yeah, ledge. On a little flooded yeah. platform. And he like walks to the edge and then you cut. And you never see him like standing right next to her That's in the smart, water. Yeah. It's like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> I get you. I see you. It's cute. It is cute. I don't know. I, there, again, there are definitely things about this movie that frustrated me. I don't like that 
Angelica Houston's character like turns like full like nasty at the end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. I would have liked it if she was maybe a little bit more apologetic, especially because of that because that scene earlier on at like the midpoint where Duds did seem there was like genuine like regret and sadness. And then she just becomes like full nasty bitch at the end. Right. I didn't she dig that. Doubles down. I didn't dig that. I, I, I don't like it. I would have liked. I would have liked. liked it's like, look, like, hey, like, sure, you're gonna work off. You're gonna work a little bit for like some of the nasty shit and the lying that you did, because you you deserve to be like, a, you know, brought down. Yeah. You deserve to regain some, some hum- consequences. Right. You deserve to regain some humility. Yeah. But like. Just so you guys know, like, that dye they used back then was, like, known to blind people. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like... Well, I mean, at Being the, submerged at the end, in it is not a good thing. I don't know. Maybe that's on purpose, because at the end of the original, yeah, like, the, 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 the Grimm Brothers Cinderella, yeah. yeah, their eyes are poked out by birds. By birds. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. So, might have been on that? purpose. No. Yeah, the, the stepsisters, uh, yeah, have their eyes plucked out by birds. They're blind. Yeah. They live as blind women for the it's rest of their gruesome. lives. Interesting. It's pretty gruesome. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised by some of the things that we've pulled out of this movie. Me too. Yeah. Because I feel like it's very straightforward, but like some of the things that we, yeah. that we found and wow, what a surprise. Good thank job, you so Nicole. much, Nicole. Good job, Nicole. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Nicole. For me, thank you, Nicole. for me personally, and I'll try to do this quick. It is giving me like solace. Is that the right word? Comfort, solace. Yeah. Um, the trial by fire thing is very relevant for me right now because, like, I'm about to do this thing that I'm very scared to do, uh, and it will. I think there's a, a glass slipper. To be, I think there's a glass. <laughs> I think there's a. Sorry. I think there's a glass slipper to be made. From what I'm trying to do, it's still in the fire. You know what I mean? It's so, still, still, let them cook, guys. Yeah, let them cook. I gotta, I'm still cooking. Uh, let them cook. So, um, but like, I think we're, I think a, a shining example of this, and you know, it's not perfect, but um, like, and you, you've experienced these with this with me too, Ricky, but where me and Megan work. Uh, is kind of like an example of what happens if you survive the fire. Mm-hmm. So like, well, Margot Cafe and Bar is like considered arguably the best restaurant in the city of Nashville. And yeah, it is. Yeah. And can't wait to eat there in September. So right. And but the thing about it is, is the reason is it survived the fire. You know, it's tried and true. Like it had, yeah. it had to go through 23 years of figuring it out, but now it's like in a new Renaissance and it's like, it, you know, packed out every night, like, mm-hmm. and it is kind of just like this perfect thing mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. that doesn't happen without going through the fire. Yeah. You know, and so like that's what I'm trying to tell myself as an artist. Like, put yourself in the fire, or you won't ever yield steel. You know, mm-hmm. so hell yeah, man. And speaking of that glass slipper, I'm just gonna put this out there. Maybe you guys disagree. 
I think that slipper's ugly. Yeah, it's ugly. I'm sorry. It's it's a it's an ugly shoe. Megan wouldn't wear it. <laughs> what do you think, Megan? Is it a is it a good looking shoe or is it an ugly shoe? I wouldn't wear it, <laughs> okay. but I do think it's. I think it's pretty to look at. I don't. I wouldn't <laughs> wear it. Um, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I thought it was an interesting version of that. I thought it was gaudy and tacky, and I hate it. <laughs> I did think the costumes were were cool. Oh, they I were good. Get to do the research that I wanted to on like how how accurate they were, but they looked pretty in terms of like the layers and stuff. They, they looked to pretty. me to be pretty accurate, which pretty. I thought was cool. Good costume, good hair, good makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hair was good. Yeah, they did a good job. The production values were good in this movie, mm-hmm. and it only cost like twenty something million dollars. I mean, in nineteen ninety eight, that was some sum, but like but like a hundred billion. I wonder what the what the what the inflation on that was. Uh, inflation calculator. Let me see. Um, so, twenty-eight million. I'll just put twenty-eight dollars in ninety-eight to now. Okay, so about a, a mid-budget movie. So it would have been about fifty-two million dollars. That's crazy. Yeah, inflation's that's, insane. That's crazy. Um, but like, even so, as far as movies go, that's a mid-budget movie. That's not a big budget. That's a mid budget. Like that's a mid. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's a mid budget movie. It's a lot though, probably because it because it's shot in France. Mm. Well, I just mean like it's a lot to be able to pull off on like a a mid budget. There are much less impressive looking movies that spent the same amount of money. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's very true. (laughs) That's very true. They did they did a lot with what you know with what they had. So that's awesome. All right, Um, I feel. Like we've reached a pretty good concluding spot for today's discussion. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, once again, thank you so much to Nicole Marie Loftus for bringing us Ever After. For any of our other audience members out there, any other listeners, this is proof that like if you reach out to us on our social media stuff and say, "Hey, I would love to hear you talk about this movie," we'll probably do it. We, you know, we are very chillax here. We don't have a set schedule as far as like movies that we have to do ever it's always what we want to do so let us know if there's something that you want to hear us kind of just explore because we're open to doing that so uh anybody in the future please let us know all right so seth why don't you go ahead and shout yourself out so people know where they can find you maybe if they're in the natural area get ticks to your show Uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, Seth Adam Crow on Instagram. That's S E T H A D A M C R O W E. You can also uh, find me at the Birdie Word on Twitter. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. You can find my website at SethPro.com. That's Seth Crow, always with an E. And yeah, if you want to come check out my show, uh, September fourteenth, uh, it is going to be at nine o'clock at Third Coast Comedy. Uh, which is at the Marathon Music Works facility or Marathon Music Museum. I'm not sure exactly uh, what it's called. But uh, you can get tickets at thirdcoastcomedy.club.com. Club. All right. Thank you, Seth. Megan, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Megan underscore Jane 61. It's M-E-A-G-H-A-N. Um, and some of my writing on Instagram at Sometime Songs. Awesome. And I am Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on both TikTok and Instagram. And uh, also, 
um, really something really exciting I would love to share with you guys. Um, I was I shot a Lifetime movie earlier this year that is going to be airing on the Lifetime channel on August nice. 26th. Nice. Uh, That's so, so cool. Yes, I'm very excited. It's my first time having something that like people are, will be able to see really readily. Um, so I'm very excited about it. I'm only in one scene early on in the movie, but it's still excited to share it. Um, so yeah. if you want to watch the movie, it's called Kidnapping in the Grand Canyon. Uh, and oh. it's going to be airing on, yes, it's going to be airing on August 26th on Lifetime. Uh, if you don't catch it on that day, I know Lifetime does stream their movies on their website too. So I think you, if you miss it there, you can still stream it uh, on their website. That's dope. I think. That's so cool. So Because yeah. I don't have cable, so I'm hoping that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but my family will be able to see it, and that's exciting. So, Oh, no, they have a live TV thing. Okay, so on the Lifetime uh, website, mylifetime.com, they have a little thing at the top that says live TV. So I'm sure find what the schedule is on the 26th, find Kidnapping in the Grand Canyon, and then if you don't have cable like I don't, you can go to their website and watch their live channel stream. Got it. Uh, and last but certainly not least, you can find the What's It About Film podcast here. Uh, you can find us posting new episodes every Friday morning. Uh, on wherever you can find podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically anywhere you can find podcasts, you guys can find us. We are the What's It About Film Podcast on Instagram and at What's It About Pod on TikTok. So it's time to talk about what's next. It's my turn to pick. And we've, we've like Seth said, we've been kind, kind of like a, a – a romantic kick, a lot of like bigger movies too, like Titanic and Dirty Dancing and The Bird King. Movies with a lot of prestige, which is great. I love those movies. However, I would like to go to a movie that I think a lot of people have not seen. One of my favorite things about watching movies is and and being a big film buff is sharing a movie with people that they haven't seen. Like telling, reckon, making a recommendation of a great movie to somebody and then watching it for the first time being like, I'm so glad you recommended that to me because it's because it's great. So I was tra- looking at what movie I wanted to do for this week and trying to find anniversaries and you know maybe culturally relevant stuff. And I came across a movie that's having its 10-year anniversary and it's a movie that I love that I don't think enough people have seen. And I think... Seth, I think you'll really appreciate, and I think, Megan, you'll enjoy it too, but I, I definitely think Seth will appreciate this movie. Mm-hmm. So the movie that we're going to be watching for next week's show is the 2013 comedy Bad Words. Oh. I've uh, it's never a, even heard of this. Jason Jason Bateman starring and directing his directorial debut, Bad Words. Um, okay. It is available on- Is it the spelling on, bee one? Yes. Oh, I've yes, seen clips of this. I don't think I've seen yes. the whole thing. So it's having. It just had its ten year anniversary. It came out in early July of 2013. So nice ten years since then. It's really good. You can find it easily streamable on Netflix, uh, and you can also pay to rent it on YouTube, Apple TV, Vudu, Amazon Prime, Google Play Movies and TV, and Redbox. So Netflix is where it's like hosted for free. If you have Netflix, that's where you can watch it. If you don't. You can rent it on YouTube, nice and easy. But I think, Seth, I think you're particularly going to enjoy this. It's going to be a nice change of pace from the movies we've been watching lately. Cool. So, awesome. Uh, 
So if you're watching along with us, we're watching bad movies from 2013. It's yes, it's a spelling bee movie. You said bad movies. Oh, bad, <laughs> bad, bad words. words. Watching bad words. <laughs> Which is a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. We're watching bad words from 2013. Jason Bateman starring and also directing. Um, it's a comedy and it's about a spelling bee. So we're gonna enjoy it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much out there for listening. Nicole, once again, thank you so much for being a super fan. We really appreciate it. Uh, We will see you all again next time. Bye. Adios. Bye.